Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. It's Friday, and you pressed play on this podcast, so you know that it's time to dive into the biggest local and statewide stories and head into the weekend. Illinois gun control advocates got a big win. The Illinois Supreme Court this morning has upheld the state's ban on the sale or possession of the type of semi-automatic weapons used in hundreds of mass killings across the country. A colleague of former Speaker Mike Madigan went on trial. Jury selection got underway today in the trial of Tim Mapes. He's the former chief of staff to Illinois House Speaker Mike Madigan. Prosecutors say Mapes lied during the investigation surrounding the former House Speaker. And we say goodbye to the creator of the cha-cha slide. Well, you hear the song at almost every wedding and knew this morning the man responsible for one of the most iconic dance tracks has passed away. So here to dive deep into those stories and much more is Paris Schutz, WTTW correspondent and co-anchor of Chicago Tonight. John Fountain, journalism professor at Roosevelt University, and David Grising, president of the Better Government Association. So before we get into the news news, we got to talk about the 50th anniversary of hip hop music. Now, as we know, there are lots of Chicago ties to this genre. So I want you to tell us, who are your go-to artists and how has hip-hop shaped your life? You first, John. Well, my first concert ever in my life, Yeah. it was Parliament Funkadelic yeah. and the Sugar Hill Gang, Rapper's Delight. Really? What year was that? Don't, don't date me. <laughs> <laughs> it was in the 1970s. Okay. <laughs> and I was probably way wearing... Way back. No, yeah, way back. I, I had hair then. Okay, had yeah. Had a little afro and, you know, I had uh, long lapels and probably some bell-bottom pants on or something. Oh, my but, goodness. But it was fantastic. And, and I just remember the, uh, the sound of hip-hop, the sound of Rapper's Delight. And everybody knew the song. And it was... Uh, we didn't know it at the time, but it was the start of... Uh, Something um, something revolutionary. Yeah. I told this story earlier, but for me, it was when I got my first cassette tape when I was, I think, nine and a half, LL Cool J, Mama Said Knock You Out. <laughs> and that was the beginning for me. I was on the bus heading to school, you know, lots of corporates around me, suits and all, and I'm just blasting. LL Cool J in my ears. Well, see, you just dated yourself with cassette tape. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not ashamed. Not ashamed at all. David, you obviously are all about that hip-hop life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the first time I became aware of hip-hop was in college in, in late 70s, early 80s. And, and um, uh, there were a couple guys from Maryland uh, who... Uh, were listening to it, and I was just like, "What is that?" <laughs> and and it it didn't really sound it. It sounded like spoken word poetry mainly. It it didn't sound as musical to me as um, you know the the older style of music that came yeah. in. But but now over the years, it's it's really become like the most creative uh, part of modern music in many respects. And uh, and it the 
uh, message of a lot of hip hop artists, I think, has evolved yeah. uh, to be a bit more sophisticated than some of the original stuff was. And, and, and I think that's where a lot of the political messaging is coming from in music these days. It doesn't come from the more mainstream musicians. Yeah. And, and, and so it's great because that's always been the, 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 a key role of, uh, of modern music. The message, for sure. Yeah. Paris, your favorite track. Oh my God, my favorite track, um, Snoop Dogg, Gin and Juice. I don't know. I mean, uh, um, <laughs> hey, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I would say that uh, Kanye was a big influence, you know, when I was in college, and then he kind of went off the the deep end a little bit in his personal life and his personal views and stuff. So I don't know. Can we still go back and? Uh, honor the genius of his early albums. The old Kanye? The old Kanye, while acknowledging that uh, the new Kanye might be a little bit of an unsavory character. I don't know, but I mean, I think that Kanye and Chicago hip-hop, you know, you hear about West Coast hip-hop and East Coast hip-hop, but Chicago hip-hop, to me, is really revolutionary because it's where, like like you said, that's where the activism came. That's where the yeah. poetry came. You know, you look at Common um, and, and the influences, Chance the Rapper, but the, inf- you know, Kanye was sampling everything from King Crimson to Steely Dan, which I think was pretty revolutionary. Um, yeah. th- that guy's musical vocabulary was unbelievable. And then I'll also just add in that, um, I, you know, I'm a musician. I'm, I'm not uh, adept at hip hop in any way at all, but I, I have such admiration for freestyle artists that can just get up there yes. and and freestyle like that. That is a talent that, um, I love to improvise, you know, on the piano, but to improvise rhymes like that is oh, yeah. an amazing talent. Incredible. Well, you know, as you you brought it to the Chicago Connections, I do have to bring up some sad news, right, in, in the world of music. The death of Chicago legend DJ Casper, uh, his massive hit, The Cha-Cha Slide. I think we all know it. It's been played everywhere. In May, DJ Casper told ABC7 Chicago about how he felt about the song's impact. And here's a bit of what he said. He said, I have one of the biggest songs that played at all stadiums, hockey, basketball, football, baseball. They played it at the Olympics. It was something that everybody could do. I mean, do you all have memories of, of doing the cha-cha slide or at <laughs> oh, least sure. seeing folks, you know, you on, on the dance floor at weddings and, and things? <laughs> well, my colleague Brandis Friedman on Chicago Tonight basically was saying a week ago she was at a, a, a birthday celebration for a senior citizen, like a great aunt or something, and they were doing the cha-cha slide. Yeah. And it's like you go to kids' parties, you go to senior parties, and they're doing the cha-cha slide. That's that's pretty amazing. Doesn't matter the age. I was doing the dishes the other day. This, this was, you know, sort of in honor of DJ Casper at, at home, and my daughter starts singing the cha-cha slide and there's me at the sink you know to the left <laughs> to the back now y'all <laughs> well, john john prine once famously told aspiring songwriters be careful what you write because the thing you write may stick with you for 50 years right and this is one that has stuck with us for many many years so and, many. It, and it's actually worn pretty well uh, it's not one of those songs you go oh god there's Here that go. again no you run yeah, to the dance floor <laughs> to join in the fun <laughs> all right let's switch gears and turn to city news we were expecting mayor johnson to announce his pick for police superintendent today, but it's been pushed to Sunday. What do you make of the choices that are in front of the mayor right now, John? Because uh, we've got three candidates, two from within CPD ranks, and we've got one from nearby Madison, Wisconsin. I think it's important um, that the, in my opinion, the next police chief comes from within the ranks of within the city of Chicago. I think Chicago is a peculiar place. And as a former crime reporter, I know that, it is, um, you know, it has its own quirks. And I think that um, 
I've seen folks come in who were not uh, from the rank and file, and there has been great opposition, and I don't know that they really get Chicago. I think that it is a, um, uh, the next police chief is critical, integral to an overall um, policy of decreasing violence and dealing with the issue before the city right now. Mm -hmm. But I also think that um, we have to remember that it is not the only piece and that Chicago has to take a comprehensive look and I think a holistic approach, which uh, Mayor, Mayor Johnson has talked about, um, but it has to, uh, has to, I think that has to happen. Yeah. So we've got uh, Larry Snelling, who's a CPD counterterrorism chief, Angel Navalis, who's the Chicago Police Department's head of constitutional policing and reform, and Sean Barnes, who is uh, the police chief currently in Madison. There's been pressure, David, uh, on the mayor to, to pick Chief Larry Snelling. Talk to us more about him and, and what that pick would signal. Well, right. Uh, the pressure, a lot of it is coming from Chris Talley-Farrow, the, the 29th, North, 29th Ward Walder person who also is head of the uh, um, police and fire uh, committee in the city council and others. Um, uh, he would be as a pick. I mean, counterterrorism is a is a key role. He's got a background in training as well, which is a very important part of the CPD's need to uh, transform itself and uh, become uh, in compliance with the consent decree, which mm-hmm. is focused on changes in practices and and just really the mindset of of police. And so would seem to be well-equipped to handle that. Um, Anthony Driver, the the head of the Community Commission on Public Safety and Accountability, he has said whomever is chosen, they ought to do a kind of a, um, a, a kind of a consider hiring the other two in because each one of these is qualified. Each one of these candidates really is qualified in their own way. All of them do seem well suited to adapt the, the whole police force toward uh, this more responsible form of policing that Mm -hmm. is the focus of the consent decree. And, and so, yes, there's pressure, uh, you know, from Talia Farrow and others to, to appoint Snelling, but all three of these people seem pretty well qualified for the you job. You know, Par- Paris, we know former Mayor Lightfoot's support of David Brown, that's part of what soured many right. of her supporters. Just help us understand that. Why does this choice matter so much for a mayor? This is the most important choice that a mayor is going to make because, you know, uh, oftentimes that we've seen in recent decades, the, the violence numbers in Chicago make or break the mayor. And a lot of what broke Mayor Lightfoot was this perception that uh, violence had skyrocketed. Now it had skyrocketed in many American cities because of COVID. And David Brown never really ingratiated himself, uh, I think, with the rank and file and and with the city at large. I mean, he he, he didn't uh, – he undid a lot of things that uh, his interim successor, Charlie Beck, had done. And so, so, yeah, Brandon Johnson wants to get to this right. And then you've got Sean Barnes, you know, the third choice – You've got Angel Navales as the other insider here, Larry Snelling, Sean Barnes, who is in, uh, chief in Madison. He, he was an investigator with COPA, the Commission to uh, Police Accountability, the commission that investigates right. police-involved shootings. Now, that, that could be a very controversial choice for police officers because it's, it's kind of not one of their own. It's someone that investigated them. But if you look at where Brandon Johnson came from, from the progressive Democratic Socialist community, that might be a candidate that they want. And I wonder if he goes with someone like Snelling, an mm. insider, that he gets pushback from his base, uh, the far-left progressives. Uh, so 
you know, I talked to Talia Farrow. He he didn't. He, he said he had spoken to Johnson. Johnson wasn't revealing his cards. Um, so it'll be, if if he goes with Snelling, it'll kind of be a sign that Brandon Johnson is trying to please. Oh, he's trying to be kind of a consensus builder here, and mm-hmm. he's not just going to be, um, you know, democratic socialist and 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 just hew to that. Um, base. Yeah. I mean, he's going to try and build consensus. Anybody think that he'll dismiss all three candidates and, and ask for another batch? I really doubt it. Because I, I, he said he was going to respect the process. He was supportive of this process being put into place. Remember, this is the first time this process has been used. And it was a lot of his allies on city council that crafted this. Carlos Ramirez Rosa, uh, the alderman, who is his top uh, floor leader uh, in, in city council. So I think Johnson wants to respect the process and he's definitely going to choose between these three. Yeah. I mean, he could pick someone entirely different. He could, he could, there is precedent for that. There's precedent where Rahm Emanuel, uh, when the police board, uh, previously the police board did this search process, when they presented him three candidates, he rejected all of them and he went with Eddie Johnson. Uh, and basically they just, uh, city council passed an ordinance saying we're going to just for this one time create our own process and not follow the normal process. And again, it, it just doesn't seem like Brandon Johnson wants to go that route. Yeah. It wouldn't be his style. And, and, and the move by Emmanuel left a sour taste in people's mouths. And the new system is if you don't like these three, you can't just name your appointment. You yeah. have to go back right. to yeah. the commission. Right. And so he would, in, in order to change as Rom did, he, I just don't, why, why would he pick that fight? Yeah. 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 This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. You're listening to our weekly news recap. Our panel is Paris Schutz of WTTW, John Fountain of Roosevelt University, and David Grising of the Better Government Association. Remember, you can email your questions and comments on these stories right now to reset at wbez.org. You can also tweet us, if you still call it Twitter, at WBEZ Reset. All right, I want to turn to another story. This one stunned a lot of us on on Team Reset. Earlier this week, we got sad news that a man allegedly crossed his street to to shoot a young girl in the doorway of her building. Her name is Sarabi Medina, and uh, she was holding ice cream for her and her dad. Obviously very upsetting. I I wonder how you all have been processing this. It is, um, without a doubt, a a tragedy. And... uh, Horrifying in in so many ways, and I think that uh, first of all, my condolences to this family. Um, it is just um, just almost unimag. It is unimaginable for a forty three year old to apparently, um, uh, according to reports, because of children's noise, which is what children do in the summer. Right, children play. Um, to yeah, that was one I, I want to amplify. That that was one of the the other reports that we learned this week, John. Yes. That the suspect was allegedly complaining about noise. Kids make noise. <laughs> we we made a lot of noise growing up, and and that is just what children do. Anybody who has kids know that that's what they do during the summer and at other times at play. And the fact that it was so brazen, uh, the, um, the father, uh, according to reports, uh, asking, telling his daughter to go inside and and yelling at the suspect, and the suspect apparently raising uh, his weapon and shooting the little girl in the head. It's just insanity. And uh, wow. I've seen a lot of tragedy, covered a lot in my days as a reporter. And this is um, this is, this is up, up there. there. This yeah. is up there for sure. Yes. What do we know about the suspect, David? 
Well, uh, not well, a bu- not a whole lot, right? Not not a whole lot. He's been a mystery, uh, other than the fact that he had had prior confrontations with this family and and had been, uh, you know, one of the reasons the father reacted as he did was because of that prior history, and uh, saw da- the father saw danger coming. Um, but other than that, it just seems to be a troubled person who didn't like the noise of children in his neighborhood. Forty three year old Michael Goodman, and uh, so far held without bail. Uh, he was also a FOID card holder. Right. Well, that, and that's the next question is that uh, were, was he – should he have had a FOID card? I mean, were there were there any – was there – and I don't know this, and I don't know uh, – people are probably going to start to get to the bottom of this. Were there things in his past that suggested that he should have had his FOID card revoked? Because I mean, there, there was evidence of drug use in his home. Uh, I don't know if that relates, but I mean right. – and, and I don't know at what point – we start to hear the mental illness claim right. being used uh, to explain and the it, behavior, and it's so it's certainly not an explanation. It's not it's not a justification. But someone that does that, you can't you can't say is in their right mind. I mean, th- that's a sick person that's going to do something like that. And and I say that because like w- were there signs that this guy uh, in the past should have had his FOID card revoked and not have been a gun owner? Yeah. I mean, back to our original point, John, I feel like a lot of parents are now expressing a renewed concern about letting their kids go outside and play. What are your thoughts on whether this reinforces that national stereotype about Chicago? Well, recently I was traveling to Alabama. I got back not long ago from Africa, and that stereotype exists about what Chicago is like, and I have to diffuse that stereotype and say, look, Chicago. That's not all of. I get it Chicago's all the time like. outside of the country. Yes, that's it's it's everywhere. It is it is it is it exists unfortunately, but I think the reality is that on the west and south sides of Chicago, there is a lot of gun violence. You know, so far this year, according to Chicago police, there have been 378 homicides or murders compared to 400 for the same period last year, 1,497 shootings compared to 1,656 for the same period last year, and we're not done with the year. And so Mm -hmm. the fact is that in some communities in Chicago, it is, you know, I say there are two Chicagos. We are a tale of two cities. And in some places, people hear gunshots every single night. And uh, and I suspect that the folks who are shooting aren't carrying FOID cards, and they aren't going through legal channels to get their guns. Yeah. And I think that is uh, certainly something that needs to be looked at. But, but, but I think that, you know, the question about what parents do, you know, it is, I've covered. This is unimaginable. Unimaginable. I've covered stories where a little boy was shot in the head making mud pies. A story where a little girl was selling candy on the sidewalk in front of her house and she was shot. Going back to the 1990s when Dantrell Davis in Cabrini Green was walking to his school and he was shot by a sniper. A woman who was pushing her six-month-old child, Rashonda Flowers, and she knelt down because it was cool to put the blanket over her daughter and she had been shot in the head. So the reality for so many parents is they have to think about, is it okay for my kid to jump rope? Is it okay for my kid to play hopscotch? And unfortunately, I think in some neighborhoods, you don't see what I saw growing up. Right now, it feels like the answer is it's not. It's not okay. Well, if, if I could jump in, a couple of weeks ago, I was reporting in Austin, you know, on this very issue, and I was interviewing some 
um, street violence intervention workers who were former gang members themselves. And, you know, I just kind of asked them to give me the insight in terms of when you're 12 or 13 years old, what it is like to grow up on these blocks. And he says, basically, the, the sway um, is so powerful to get involved in, you know, organizations, whether you call them gangs or cliques or whatever, uh, that, that it's almost hard to resist. And then block by block, there's so much distrust that you might be walking down a block that you don't live on and someone on the porch is looking at you and you're wearing your hat a little different or you're wearing your pants a little different and that person's suspicious of you. Mm. And so and obviously we know the root underlying causes of poverty and segregation and racism that, that, have, that, that have brought about this whole situation over the last several decades. But in the acute, in, in, in the current moment, this is the reality where there's such a distrust within communities uh, where um, if, again, you're you're in danger if you're walking down the block that's not the block you live on. I mean, that, that's yeah. the reality. And, and as, a, as a political problem, a governmental problem, the cost of addressing some of these problems uh, is just going to be so incredible. And it, it's good that we're starting to see attention from government and mm-hmm. others on this. But, but even uh, Arne Duncan, uh, who runs CRED, which is one of the intervention intervener yeah. type groups that Paris is talking about, he didn't. He did. He published an estimate some time ago saying to roll out that program citywide, that type of intervener program would cost more than a billion dollars, and and so, but as a society, we have to look at well, what is the cost of doing less? Yeah, and um, we're starting. We need it. We 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 need it, and we need uh, you know. Uh, Companies need to be investing more in these in these neighborhoods, and we're starting to see some philanthropic money go toward these neighborhoods. But yeah. the work is just getting started, and unfortunately, um, the problem is not going to go away anytime soon. Paris, uh, we got to mention Vice President Kamala Harris, who's here uh, delivering a keynote address for gun advocacy group Every Town for Gun Safety. What can you tell us about that visit? Well, it's uh, her what? Is it her fourth, third, third visit to Chicago? Uh, She's yeah, she's she's delivering a a keynote address on a topic that, uh, you know, obviously is very present in Chicago and one one that we're talking about and one that, you know, perhaps will be a reelection issue uh, for the Biden administration. Um, You know, she was here addressing a Latino forum uh, before that. It seems like she's kind of the lead person out there kind of starting the Biden reelection campaign. And I think that these visits are always coupled with going and raising big bucks. I mean, Chicago is a town that is home to many, many high dollar Democratic donors. And, um, you know, so oftentimes the vice president will go keynote an event like this and then go to a private reception at someone's condo in the Gold Coast yeah. uh, and, and walk away with a million dollars for the for the Biden campaign. And let's not forget, J.B. Pritzker is a very key a Democratic power broker now, fundraiser. There was a profile on him in the Chicago magazine where he's like he's, he's on speed dial with President Biden, mm-hmm. you know, and um, he's going to be basically guaranteeing the success of the DNC in 2024. So Chicago is a crucial crucial um, place for the Democratic Party, for the Biden reelection. It's not a battleground state, but it is a place where there are many people uh, who are going to bankroll and influence this campaign. Back now with the week's top stories. All right, John, let's start with news from the Illinois Supreme Court. This morning, it ruled 4-3 to uphold the state's ban on the sale of assault weapons. Explain more of what this ruling does and, and what it signals. 
Well, I think for um, for victims' rights and uh, gun safety advocates, they consider it a victory, but it is really a uh, a win in the battle, um, but not necessarily the the war. The Illinois Supreme Court today, a four three decision, upheld the state's ban on the sale of assault weapons, signed in law by uh, Governor Pritzker. Um, the ruling came in a lawsuit brought uh, earlier this year by central Illinois lawmaker challenging the ban. And that suit uh, by state representative Dan Calkins of Decatur was part of a swell of opposition by gun advocates to the ban's constitutionality. And um, essentially, you know, it bans the delivery, import, and purchase of guns that the law defines as assault weapons, and uh, which are apparently, according to the Justice Department and according to local law enforcement officials, in uh, plenty supply yeah. out in the streets. And we see the evidence of uh, the carnage that they are creating in the hands of folks who are willing to use them. So right now, it is um, it, the ban holds, but there is... Uh, um, you know, on the federal level, um, um, uh, this is also uh, being um, being contested. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I'll put it out to the rest of the panel. Do you think it's that's an example or a, a precedent for the rest of the country? I think this is very narrow because this wasn't even about the Second Amendment. It was uh, it was brought on the grounds that it violated the Illinois Constitution and the sure. Equal Protection Clause, uh, basically. Uh, Calkins was arguing that, uh, well, because there are these folks that still can possess these weapons, if mm-hmm. you already own one, you can possess it if you go register it now. Or if you're a sworn member of the military, you can possess it. Uh, and so he said, well, that, you know, that treats different classes of people differently, and that violates the Equal Protection Clause. Uh, you know, the Supreme Court, in a narrow ruling, I mean, um, J.B. Pritzker spent a lot of money to make sure that this was a— uh, a Supreme Court dominated by uh, folks from the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. But there was a Democrat that dissented here and was against it. But basically, in this narrow four to three ruling, they determined, uh, no, this you can have these carve outs and it doesn't violate the Equal Protection Clause. But the key here is this is ultimately going to be decided at the, the Supreme Court. There's so many yeah. other cases. Um, it will eventually become a Second Amendment case before the Supreme Court. And the question is, do can Will do these so-called assault rifles, uh, you know, can there be exemptions here to the Second Amendment for these assault mm-hmm. rifles? And, and and that's going to be the question that's going to be litigated for the next several years. So we should expect more litigation. Well, there is already so much more litigation. And I think what will what will happen will be a consolidation of these cases. Yeah. OK. The federal and state. And I, no, what I don't know is whether because there were more state cases. And I don't know if this is the final word on this law in terms of of. of whether it violates state law. Um, But again, what matters is eventually it's going to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Uh, Let's turn to another court case, David. Uh, Tim Mapes, a former chief of staff for Michael Madigan, he's on federal trial for perjury and attempted obstruction of justice. Laid out for us and and why this is such a big deal. Right. Tim Mapes was uh, the longest serving speaker, House speaker in the nation's history, had his right-hand person, and that was Tim Mapes. Tim Mapes in his office had a had a sign that was testimony this week said, sign that's, that said, nobody gets in to see the wizard. He was the gatekeeper to Mike Madigan. 
And when he was called to to testify before the grand jury in February of 2021, he had a striking lack of recall when asked about his relationship with the speaker, his relationship with the speaker's fixer, Michael McLean. And he is on trial for seven responses in that interview in which he had no recollection of whether McLean was basically doing Mike Madigan's bidding uh, in dealing with Commonwealth Edison, which we've now, McLean has been found guilty along with three other defendants in the Commonwealth Edison for trial. And now Mapes is on trial for perjury and obstruction of justice because of that distinctive lack of recall. He was advised during the interview that a uh, untruthful answers might land him in, um, in court. Mm-hmm. And in fact, he has landed in court. And the testimony so far seems to be building the case that, in fact, Mapes, Tim Mapes, was in the middle of everything that was going on. And he was sort of the conduit between Mike Madigan and Michael McLean. And um, uh, and we had testimony from Bob Rita, a state representative, uh, basically putting Mapes all in the middle of it. So he would have had to have this sudden amnesia when he showed up in February of 2021 before the grand jury in order to forget all of the things that he was in the middle of. Yeah. That seems to be the case. Tim Mapes ran everything. I mean, Mike Madigan was the most powerful politician in the country, I think. Obviously the most powerful in Illinois. But really, Tim Mapes was the guy that was slabbing the meat and making the trains run on time. And that's exactly what Bob Rita, the state representative, said. Uh, and so there, so that's why it would be seem preposterous that he wouldn't know about um, you know this relationship. And uh, I have said this before. I don't think the feds care about Tim Mapes. No, they yeah. want— Tim Mapes to give him the goods on Madigan. They mm-hmm. want a stronger case on Madigan, I think, and Tim Mapes knows everything. That's and Tim one. Mapes would not give anything up. And now he faces maybe 25 years uh, in prison if convicted on this. And it seems like it's like this law of omerta uh, mm. with Madigan where you're just never going to well, rat on the guy. John, do you think that Madigan's trial is going to help root out corruption in, in <laughs> state politics? <laughs> That's my answer. <laughs> no, <laughs> not, not at all. He chuckles. I <laughs> know, no. This is the uh, this is the way of Illinois, the way of Chicago, and I don't think it's going to help root out. You mean uh, no lessons have been learned here. I think lessons are learned, and maybe people will be more careful and won't use cell phones and and so on. But you know, I, I which I Madigan never well, used. Yeah, Madigan famously <laughs> didn't use cell phones. I, I, I guess I, I might take issue a little bit okay. with what John is saying in that. It took Madigan those, you know, quarter of a century to build up a system that was as sophisticated and structured as the one that we are seeing yeah. played out in court now. Mm-hmm. And so even if somebody were uh, were kind of in, in their heart were corrupt, it would just take them a while to put all these piece, <laughs> pieces in place. Yeah. And I think perhaps a lesson has been learned. John's rightly skeptical because of the history of corruption in the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago. Uh, but at the same time, when you look at this case, this case was under investigation for several years before they actually brought it. And that goes out as a warning shot across the bow of all any of those corrupt-minded people that, you know what, if you get the right U.S. attorney in office, they're yeah. going to be systematic about chasing but, but, down your systematic corruption. But we've had governors who've gone to jail. We've had other politicians uh, aldermen and so on who've gone to jail. So the existence of salvation doesn't stamp out sin. <laughs> and, and when Paris was talking, I just kept thinking, 
You can't blame a guy for not being able to remember what he can't remember. Yeah. Why is he staying uh, quiet? You know, Sasha, he has nothing to gain anymore because I, I don't know. I mean, it, it would seem like if you just if you just said something, um, you would be free of all the legal fees that you're paying to go through this, the, the heartache that this is causing and the possible jail time. And the halcyon days of you running everything are over. And maybe they haven't realized that. It's over. You guys are nothing now. They're nothing. They were everything for many, many years. And and there's just something with McLean and Mapes where they cannot betray their leader, mm. Mike Madigan. And I don't know what they have to gain from it other than Mike Madigan's love and respect. I don't know. Well, McLean will be gaining some time in in custody, right? right? And right. Mapes very well could as well. And neither one of them have turned at all. And right. so it is just these... Decades of working in servitude right. to this person who was everything. Right, right. I mean, it, yeah. it almost feels like a cult, you know, where you just can't deprogram yourself from it. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. This is our weekly news recap with WTTW's Paris Schutz, John Fountain with Roosevelt University, and David Grising of the Better Government Association. Remember, you can chime in on these news stories in our inbox. Send your thoughts to reset at wbez.org. Paris, sticking with you for a moment here, the governor's been signing a whole slew of bills, including protections for Native Americans. So fill us in on the uh, Human Remains Protection Act. Well, that uh, that's where uh, apparently there are these sort of remains uh, of, of Native peoples uh, in Illinois that live in uh, museums. And this is going to give them a dignified sort of uh, repatriation or reburial mm-hmm. uh, uh, in a defined place. And then um, also part of uh, the, the series of laws would be the um, mandatory teaching of Native American history in Illinois public schools, and, and uh, which is something that I grew up in, went to Illinois public schools, and we did we were taught that. We were taught about um, all of the Illinois tribes, and we were taught about that. So, But this is just mandating that. And then um, there's another one that sort of uh, respects uh, – Native Americans uh, and, um, you know, their choice in school to mm-hmm. wear uh, things like someone had worn, uh, what was it, like a feather or a headdress at their graduation and got in trouble for it, saying, hey, no, it, this is... That'll no longer be an issue. That'll no longer be an issue. You know, if, if this is part of their culture, then they get, they certainly get to express that. Illinois has the second largest collection of uh, unrepatriated Native American remains in the U.S. Which, in fact, I did not know. I did know. not know I mean, that either. Your mm-hmm. reaction, John? I didn't know that, but I, I think that the uh, the bill seems to be a uh, a win win, especially in light of what is happening in Florida, the attack on critical race theory, uh, Florida's um, insistence that uh, children be taught that slavery uh, was of great benefit to slaves, which is totally against everything I have what? been told by my ancestors and yeah. everything that I read and everything that I know. And uh, so I, I, I think it is I think it is a, a laudable uh, thing uh, that is, I, I think, essential to preserving the history. And it isn't Native American history or black American history. It is simply American history. It's American history. It's, it's pretty amazing just how how divergent different states are. You know, Illinois, uh, again, preserving the teaching of all of our history as a country, the good, the bad, the ugly. And a place like Florida um why the governor there is doing this, I don't know. I think he's bowing to political whims, and 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 it's it's uh, it, these are victories that get him on conservative media to crow about how he's ending wokeism and all of that. 
but what effect is this going to have on on kids? We, we, yeah. We're going to be ignorant of of the reality of of American. Well, history. let's hear from the governor. Here's a bit of what he had to say as he signed these bills into law. It's up to us to right the wrongs of the past and to chart a new course, one that educates our people so we won't repeat the sins of the past. It's a past that we must now be accountable for. Long time coming, huh, David? Absolutely. And and there are real-world consequences beyond just what, what Paris and John have been talking about. Um, there is a bill pending in the legislature to return 130 acres or so that were just basically seized from the Potawatomi Nation, mm-hmm. along with a $50 million settlement fund there. And and so it's um, – uh, it's it's great that that students will be learning. It's it's really great. It, this happened. The, the the thing with the feather in the in the graduation cap happened in Evanston Township High School. I mm-hmm. live in Evanston, and that's a community that you would be. I'm surprised that a kid was told they couldn't honor their heritage at at their high school graduation. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> so, um, it's there. You go. Um, and so on top of that, then to be looking at the real the the financial consequences of these uh, of the property seizures that happened as well is I, I think a very a good step as well. Yeah, let's hop to more news out of Springfield. Uh, Illinois could be getting a new state flag earlier this week. The governor approved a commission to possibly revamp the state flag. I mean, what do you think about our state flag? For, for those in the room that know what it looks like, hate it, love it? It's really old-fashioned. Uh, an eagle, it, it doesn't really say much at all when we have such a rich history in this in this state. And um, uh, it, it doesn't stand out in the same way that some of the, the flags in, in Georgia and Mississippi that just had to be. They were deplorable. They had the, the Confederate battle emblem on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it could do so much more. I, I think this is sort of could do so much more sort of uh, territory. Everybody's Are you digging at, the flag, Paris? You know, I'm just I just had to Did pull you just up. Google and, it? I had the Google an image. <laughs> Peter. I know there's an eagle in it and it's, you know, it's biting this <laughs> fan that says state sovereignty, sovereign. something. Yeah. Sovereignty yeah. nationally. I mean, Cook County's rethinking its flag. Uh, I think the I only, think it redid it. Already. It re- redid its flag. The the only flag that seems to just kind of live on and on is the Chicago flag. One of the because great, it's the best one. One of the great municipal flags anywhere in the world. I mean, people wearing it on on hats and on shirts and tattooing it. And uh, so, if this commission can come up with something like that that yeah. takes off like the Chicago flag, then well, that'll be a victory. Well, earlier this week, we talked with a longtime Chicago area flag maker, Carl Gus Porter III. He's with WGN Flag mm. and Decorating Company on the South Side. I know you folks had him on oh, yeah. WTTW as well. Here's what he said about designing a new flag. He says it's a big undertaking. They have to try and incorporate these massive parts of Illinois and try and symbolize them in mm. in some way. Uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a a red flag with, you know, a big, bright blue star for Chicago and a smaller blue star for uh, Springfield, you know, whether they want to put, uh, you know, some blue along one of the sides to represent the Mississippi River Mm. or, uh, you know, blue in the upper fly end for uh, Lake Michigan. I love that. Our Lisa Lava says our flag should be a pizza and a picture of Lincoln. (laughs) What would you put on this on the new state flag? I think I'm going to be honest. You know, I'm a lifelong Illinoisan. And if you put the Illinois flag up with 20 other flags, I could not have picked it out. 
other than, you know, having gone and looked at it over the last couple of days. But I, I think I might consider the indigenous people of Illinois some representative, a hawk, maybe the river, and a big old slice of deep dish pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, my, and my cubby C. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back now with more from the Weekly News Recap. The chair of the 2024 Democratic National Convention in Chicago has been named, Mignon Moore. David, tell us, what does a chair do? Well, the chair is responsible for organizing the convention, calls the convention to order. Um, uh, In Chicago's case, the city committed to involve all 77 community areas across the city. So it'll be her job to sort of figure out how to do that. Um, she uh, is well known in Democratic political circles as somebody who worked on Jesse Jackson's uh, 1988 run for the presidency. She first really got the bug in politics when she invited Harold Washington to come speak at her Altgeld Elementary School, and mm. he actually did so. Uh, she's a Chicago native and should be well suited uh, to this job. And she'll also be working with the person who kind of really was key to bringing this together, which is a person named Michael Sachs, who is uh, was Rahm Emanuel's kind of unofficial aide de camp when he was mayor and has been a big fixture in uh, liberal democratic politics in Illinois for many, many years. Yeah. So some Chicago ties there, John. I, what, what are your thoughts on this pick? I don't know that I have thoughts on the pick. <laughs> when when when. I, I think that um, it's certainly someone who is familiar with Chicago. Yeah. And I think, again, part of the task is to involve the city in its entirety so that we all benefit and partake in this uh, this convention and uh, all of Chicago's communities and uh, that we all benefit not only um, um, just by participating in the process in some way, but also financially because it's going to bring a lot of money to the city of Chicago. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I take note that um, uh, that this pick Moore, uh, Minion Moore, is uh, a graduate of Alkel Elementary School and also the great CVS High School. Hey. Yeah. So Where Dick Butkus <laughs> went. Chicago <laughs> Vocational. I didn't know that. Yes. Right, yeah, right, by, right down there by uh, the Skyway. You know, yeah. these conventions are, are big, like they're big Broadway shows. I kind of look at the chair as being like the producer of a Broadway show because they're so scripted. Everything is so tightly run, and you know now you've got this person coming out telling this story. Now you've got this performer coming out and singing a song, and it's really like a multi-day, you know. Well, when show. you put it that way, Paris, it's actually you know it's <laughs> chorus lines and all that stuff. Uh, every now and then, stuff goes off script, like uh, in 2016, where there were uh, folks you know that were angry at Ted Cruz for not saying Donald Trump's name and then in tw- at the DNC where there were Bernie supporters that were yeah. not happy about Hillary getting the nomination. So every now and then things go off script. But what the DNC chair wants is for everything to stay right on script and to have a nice little sort of public relations uh, spot for their yeah. party, basically. This will be an interesting run-up to, to 2024, that's for sure. I want to squeeze in a story that you worked on, Paris, because we, we got some grim data from Cook County uh, about op- opioid overdoses. Well, we've talked about the opioid epidemic for a while, and um, quietly it's worse than ever. I mean, it just keeps going up, and, and the medical examiner's office had just put out numbers showing 2,000 opioid-related overdose deaths in mm. Cook County. That's a record. It's a new record. Last year? Last year. 91% of those were attributed to fentanyl. And I talked to a DEA guy who was basically saying, of the drugs recovered on the street, opioids, 
less than 1% is pure heroin. So it's amazing to talk about like the quote-unquote good old days when you were actually getting a drug that was grown somewhere, and heroin is terribly dangerous and addictive and deadly itself. These are drugs that are made in labs, okay, uh, fentanyl, uh, and they're mixed with other things that are deadly. There's all these analogs of these drugs. Yeah. And when you're going out and buying this on the street, you're buying this poison that has a much likelier chance of killing you. One other stat that they told me was 2,000 overdose deaths. 11, 000, the fire department administered Narcan 11,000 times Ooh. last year. So that means there were 11, 000, at least 11,000 more overdoses that potentially could have been deaths oh that goodness. got reversed. I mean, what are your thoughts about these rising numbers, John and David? That's well, a lot. It, it seems, you know, to echo what Paris is saying, that um, this, these synthetic drugs, right. including fentanyl and animal tranquilizer. Xylazine. Yeah, now found in more than 99% of illicit opioids. And I got a call about a month ago, month and a half ago, from one of my childhood friends. And he said, hey, you know, he knows that, I, you know, I'm a journalist, a reporter, a professor. And he said, do you realize what's going on on the streets of the west side of Chicago and the south side? He says, people are overdosing. He says, I've never seen this happen wow. where people are dying in uh, literally in vacant lots from just ingesting in plain sight. Stuff. Yes. Yes. And, and here's the th- what. So the number one age group impacted was 50 to 59. And what medical professionals were saying is because they're likely to use alone. Yeah. So the people that are going to die are the ones that are alone. There's mm-hmm. going to be way, 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 way more overdoses. But that's why they're, you know the state has made a big thing of giving out Narcan. I mean, they were giving out Narcan at Lollapalooza because it reverses the overdose. Right. And so... You know, this is all we can do right now as a stopgap to keep people alive. Well, I just got some seconds left here, folks. I'm, I'm curious what's on your radar for, for next week. David? For next week, well, I thought you were going to ask me what was overlooked this week, if I can. <laughs> yes, please. Since I prepared that. <laughs> yes. Was the non-citizens becoming cops <laughs> is a really interesting development. Oh. And uh, it's a Governor Pritzker signed a lot of that effect. And Willie Wilson already is waiting on the tribunes in, in the Tribune op-ed column saying that's a really horrible idea. At a time when we've got, what, 1,700 vacancies in the Chicago Police Department, I guess you got to look in places, and I don't see why a non-citizen couldn't be a so, good we, When we did a panel on that a couple of days ago, there's so much disinformation around this. I mean, yeah. the law basically says that if you are a non-citizen, but you are legally in this country and you have work authorization, I mean, you can become a teacher, you could become a nurse, you could join the military, mm-hmm. so they're saying you can become a cop. This was supported by the vast majority of Republicans in Illinois. Only after its passage, it started being demagogued. It's a popular sort of issue to demagogue in the quote-unquote culture wars, and then all of a sudden this controversy happened over it. we got to check it out. Our thanks to Paris Schutz of WTTW, John Fountain, journalism professor at Roosevelt University, and David Grising of the Better Government Association. We appreciate you being here, guys. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Thanks. This episode of Reset was produced by Linnea Dominic and edited by Maha Ahmed and Andrew Merriweather. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for our interview with actress and entrepreneur Jessica Alba. You don't want to miss it. That'll do it for Reset. Have a great weekend. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.